Hi everybody, welcome to season three, episode three already of the Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry podcast with me, Philip Heidson and Dara McAnthony, chairman, co-owner, El Presidente as the parking spot goes of uh, P3 United. You like that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, how are we all? Yeah, how are you doing, Dara? Yeah, good, good, good. Just been working since about 8.30 this morning, um, putting um, a transfer bid together and a contract together, potentially, so, you know, for for a, a Smodex replacement. Um, so I've been working on that very early. Um, yeah, really good. Um, let me ask you, how was your experience at the Mighty Posh yesterday? Obviously, you got the, you got the DMAC VIP treatment for the, for the family and your parents that came. So uh, give, give us the lowdown. What was it like? Yeah, we all had a really good time. You know, th- first of all, thanks to everyone at the club for the hospitality. Uh, everyone looked after us. Uh, Liz looked after us. So I got to give a shout out to Liz as well. She's a star. Um, we had a really good time. It was nice to uh, see a win. It's uh, been a while since I've seen a win for a while. I think the kids enjoyed seeing some goals. Hey, I'm getting shirts in them. Yeah. shirts. You know, they came away. Um, um, they they enjoyed it. You know, I think our youngest was um, uh, is a Joe Ward fan already. <laughs> after that first goal. Very good. And you got to see Derek Adams closer. You know, where you're sat in the director's box. You're in yeah. the posh seats, right? <laughs> I know. Well, um, you know, we had to, if it wasn't for um, uh, director's box etiquette, then there may have been a few words that had have made it down to him. <laughs> now, most importantly, how was the carvery? A famous good old roast dinner we keep sticking out there every every time. Yeah, that's the way it should be. It's funny, we were talking before we went on mic that uh, I was worried it was going to be something that was, uh, you know, overly pretentious and uh, fancy. No, catering hate me. Catering hate me. For 16 years, I won't allow them to change it. I, I love a carvery. The posh carvery is the best in the business. So I'm saying when I go to away clubs, I hardly eat. The food's crap. It's always they try and, oh, let's do some French food. Let's do, no, I'm not interested. I go to football. I want football food. I want carvery. And if I'm at an away game, I'd rather have a kebab or a hamburger. But get me a carvery, you know, and, and the posh carvery is the business. It really is. So uh, enjoyable. Put a bunch of Yorkshire people and some adopted Yorkshire people in a, uh, a carvery and you're good to go. <laughs> happy days people after my own heart i love it <laughs> and you got goals you got a win you know we weren't at our best i'd say second gear but uh you know it's um i was thinking before the game the manager was coming up to my office i was like because i didn't know the team obviously Tommy, and i was like i was thinking my god it's, it's a team that doesn't have poku in it magic bowie in it and joe randall in it and joe taylor in it ricky j jones in it i'm like how's he gonna get all these players on the bench mm-hmm. you know i've just named five incredible talented attackers for league one and i'm like you can't get them all on the bench you can't none of them are in the team you know that that's that you know it's 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 almost an embarrassment the riches and I'm not, I'm not trying to be pretentious or arrogant or whatever else but like we've got a stacked squad full of uh talent you know but what was your impression of the team yeah i think that um what you said then about second gear was right you know the you kicked off on the front foot got an early goal, if you'd have kept that pressure on, I mean, it could have been out of sight. I don't think that you took uh, took a foot off the gas. Maybe there's still some getting to know each other in the midfield. Uh, you know, it wasn't as fluid as it could have been, probably. I mean, it felt like if you needed to go and get a goal, you know, if they got one back, then you'd have just gone and got another goal. Um, it was pretty, as easy as these games all come, because there's no easy games, obviously. Um, but it was forward 3-0, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, was there anyone um, that you like you hadn't really seen properly in the flesh, and then you were looking at it and thought, right, that's a good player. Um, Bergstrom, your keeper, mm. made a couple of really good saves. I mean, he's a giant, 
and it was 1-1. I think it might have been Cole Stockton that was through on goal. Um, and I, it's been a long time since I've seen a keeper be able to spread himself that wide, and he did that a couple of times um, and made a couple of important stops. And, you know, I'm always partial to a keeper because I was I grew up as a, a bit of a keeper. Um, <laughs> He's a good know. young lad. He's got <laughs> but, ability. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, sometimes when you win 3-0, things like that go unnoticed. No, he, he's been massive in two games. He made critical saves last week, and, and his saves are coming at critical moments. We were, we went three two ahead against Cheltenham. We made world class save yesterday at one nil. Stockton one on one, massive save. So that's what a good goalkeeper does. And he's nineteen. He played his second game ever. I know there was a lot of eyes on us for the decision we made in the summer, but it's one of them where you're thinking, talented goalie. More games, better he gets by chance, and, and if all goes to plan, we win promotion probably likely we get him again in the champ. There's a lot of thinking, you know, we have three young goalies of our own that are really good in the building. So it's just the way we wanted to work it. Yeah. And there's no way that um, I would have said he was 19. No. You know, I know we've talked about it, but that, that wasn't when I saw him, you know, I thought maybe his early twenties, 22, 23. He doesn't yeah. look like a 19 year old. No, no, he's vocal. And, uh, you know, he's dominant and uh, he'll only get better. And yeah, he dropped one last week at Chapman. He's 19. You know, he, he's going to get better, but he's got a team in front of him. If he makes some mistakes, they'll get him out of shit. So, you, you, you know, that's the capability. Uh, my folks were definitely impressed with Harrison Burroughs and, you know, going up and down <laughs> uh, the wing in front of us. And, um, uh, you know, Ronnie Edwards just looked it looked easy for him. You know, we've talked about centre-back, just, you know, walking out without a care in the world, and he did that a couple of times. It's that and the way to pass. I don't think I've ever seen a centre-back who passes as well. You know, like, you know, just, it's it's just fluid. And it's, uh, you know, and he's just very kind of non-plus, you know, it, it, almost like a stroll. But uh, no, he, he's a great kid. And, and yeah, H is great. I mean, he got an assist yesterday. And, and again, you know, he, he'll get better uh, again. You know, he's, he's just turned 20 and people kind of forget that. And then I was really happy for Hector. There was a lot of Leighton Orient fans were like hammering me on Twitter which led on to a lot of posh fans panicking, you know, that we'd overpaid for this 20-year-old from Leighton Orient that none of the Orient fans were going to miss. Um, but we'd done a lot of work on his tangibles, you know, the intangibles he's got as a player. And we're very much of the way he is just going to get better and better. He's physically, if you look at the third goal, it wasn't his finish. It was he won the ball in the first place to start the move. And he's, he's got that. He, he's got so much upside in him. It's it's scary, you know. Ben Thompson, fair play, um, you, you know, scrapper, uh, and Jack Taylor again. He was kind of in third gear, running around next to them too, you know, kind of like that. So, and and our own Kante didn't even get in the team. That's Fuxi, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's like he was on the bench. So it's like, uh, you know, it's good. You made what five subs? I think a um, couple of them that stood out were um, that tw- is twenty seven Taylor, the striker. He came on and, you know, he's got, he's, he's full of running. He's going to be sensational. He, um, he's 19. Um, he is, people have gone on about strikers. He, he's going to be sensational. The kids come back. He's in the best shape of his life. He's his first time he's had a professional preseason. He's a goal scorer, but he runs all day long. He, he will just, he's a bit like Craig McHale Smith. He's a little bit Marriott. You know, he's got the ability to, again, another young one that take our time. He's gonna be special, you know what I mean. He's just and, he, and by the way, he beat Ricky J Jones in a in a race at the training grounds a week ago. So this is two of them running around just over ten seconds in the hundred meters. Um, yeah, it's mad. With uh, 
Ajiboye, if I pronounce that right, you know, going down the wing past him. He was, uh, uh, yeah. you know, pretty tidy when he came on as well. Dave, Dave is great. I mean, I spoke to his agent at the whole game. That was his best cameo. He's never done double sessions. It's going to take a couple of months to adjust. So, so you know, some players, that if you like Poku last year, you know, and the mad thing about all of this, our best player in preseason was Poku. No Poku, no party. And, you know, he hasn't been available for the two games. So we're, um, we're looking forward to him coming back next week because, uh, again, super talented. So what was your take on it? Yeah, um, I, you know, we're not anywhere near what I would class when I keep saying the greatest show on turf. Um, you know, I, I think we've got more gears to go up. I like the fact last week we come from behind. I like the fact yesterday we went out and did the business at home, you know, comfortably. Yes, Morecambe had a couple of good moments, but every team in League One's going to have good moments. And, and it's how you deal with the good moments. Um, you know, there were good performances yesterday and, and Thompson's come back from injury. Nathan Thompson's, he's back in the squad. You know, there's lots of positives, you know. Ricky couldn't get on the bench. You know, I'm sure he'd be back this week. You know, the players are, are fitter. You know, they're stronger. The, the camaraderie is good. The teamwork is good. Jono's leading the line as captain. You know, him and Jack, was probably not at their best, Jess, they were still very good and very difficult to deal with. You know, they're championship strikers. Um, and, and and then the, the, the real thing is the goalkeeper. He's been a massive plus. Um, and so, look, big test coming up. And I keep saying to everyone, I couldn't give a shit. It's thought, you know, somebody tell, I was like, listen, ask me again in March and April. So that's really when it matters. Right now, it doesn't really matter. Do you know what I mean? Yes, it matters, but it does. it's not the end of the world for me. If, if we'd had a stinker yesterday, Morecambe nicked the point. Okay, I'm not going to be here this morning on my couch pulling my hair out like I have been in the past sometimes. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like... But we also know our home form, I think we've only lost four home games in League One in the last five years. Our home form is... And the pitch looks good. You know, there was a lot of safe standing was introduced yesterday. That was a new thing. Um, there's a lot of things happening. And I still have a bit of work to do in the window. There's a lot of stuff I've got to get right. But so far, yeah, we are, we are stacked you know, and and I don't want to make people envious and I don't want to brag, but we are stacked with a lot of talent. Yeah, there's a lot of depth, you know, for when inevitable injuries do come along. Correct. And that's key. And 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 I would comfortably say that if there was a different 11, we could win the game yesterday. You know, and, and you know, when I look at some of the players that are coming on and, you know, whatever else, yes, it's a good squad. So, you know, everyone's getting carried away by going, well, some people are on the top of the table. list that right. give a fuck about the table. I couldn't care about other results. You look around League One yesterday again. It's a difficult league. It's a difficult league. You know, it's. Um, I'm looking at some of the results. It's just a tough, tough league. And, um, you, you know, full of big teams. And Ipswich went to Forest Green and looking at the highlights, they were lucky to have kept that two. They were 2-0 up and Forest Green looked like they were, you know, pushing. It's just any team you play, somebody said to the manager yesterday, oh, you're expected to beat Morecambe and Cheltenham. Really? Because you have an arrogant attitude like that. and You're going to like lose points to those teams. And, and, and I think you guys found out yesterday, you go to unfancy teams and you're not on it. You, you're going to get bitten in the arse. And, and we've got a big week. We've got Plymouth in the Cup. We've got Plymouth in the League. Sheffield Wednesday. And I say a big week because of the travelling. Not a big week that we have to win all the games. You know, the season's not going to be decided on those games. But again... The, the squad are going, I paid for them to go and stay in Plymouth for like four days. A mini camp. They've got a training ground. They've got facilities. So great little chance to bond, a bit of camaraderie. So I think he's got 24 players traveling down there. So uh, yeah, really, really good. And then our 23s are playing on Monday. And, you know, we've got some good players in, in there as well. Youngsters, you know what I mean? So yeah, 
Well, good. So he needs to win on Tuesday to pay for it then, or Wednesday, whenever you're uh, I, to, to be fair, I said to him yesterday, you know, with our deficit this season, we could do it a cup run. You don't want me to sell too many of your players to plug the gap, <laughs> you know, in his yeah. face. So I'm like, you know, I, I get you're going to make changes, but we, we could do it a cup run and the League Cup's not been kind to us. So, you know, to pull a Bradford and get to the, to the semis and final and, and all that money, hey, help us wipe out those many millions in deficits we have as, as, as relegated to League One does to you. So, uh, yeah. It's uh, interesting. So, so that's posh. Should we move on to Bradford? Or do you still want to talk about posh? Well, I want to talk something about the day yesterday because I'd love, you know, I saw a little bit behind the scenes, of course, but I'd love from your perspective as an owner, like what's match day like? Yeah, I'll run you through yesterday. So I got up uh, half eight yesterday morning here in Surrey, um, shower change, go to my office in my house uh, and then do about an hour and a half work. Uh, emails, businesses in America, family stuff, da 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 then Rob, my driver, comes to the house about 10 yesterday and picks me up, go grab a coffee. We get down there and I've already got everyone uh, organized, have my office air conditioning on and have the BT Liverpool game on for when I get there. So I arrive at about quarter past 12 and one's a bit shitty, get there, okay, two hours. Start watching the Liverpool game, you know, kind of as a Liverpool fan. And then obviously then people start coming through the door. So I think it was the first through the door yesterday was, I'm trying to remember, the, the chief executive had gone on his holiday. God bless him, he needed a holiday or, or the standing chief executive. And who, who came in first? Oh, Phil Adlam comes in. Quick chat with him. Talking press, media, did, 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 did. Then after that, Kieran Scar from uh, head of the academy comes in. We have a catch-up. Then I see Bobby from the, who runs the ladies' stuff and also you know, does foundation work for the football club. So we have a quick catch-up. Then Baz, you can hear him coming a mile away, pops in. Um, uh, Bobby, who looks after the boardroom, is looking after me with a bottle of water because I'm my diet in and stuff. Then Rob, my driver, get me some carvery food. I don't tend to eat a lot on match days, but he'll stick in front of me, so I'm eating. Uh, then the manager pops up. The manager will spend about 25 minutes with me. We're watching the game. A couple of agents, then if players will occasionally pop in, if there's contracts to be talked about, if there's this to be talked about, so they'll come in and chat. Um, who else? It's called Bob Sims. My ex-CEO pops in. You know, he'll have five minutes. You know, we'll have a catch-up and talk shop and, and talk life. Um, and by then, then, you know, the game's over. It's about half two, the Liverpool game. I'll have missed most of it because all these fucking assholes sitting next to me that like, fucking distracted me while I'm trying to watch the Mighty Reds. So I'm losing my shit watching that game. I need to concentrate on them, but really watching the game. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm trying to talk, you know. Barry's in and out, and sometimes he'll eat his food with me or he'll go back out and eat. Sometimes there'll be people who want to speak to me, you know, but I don't know. Um, and obviously then at about 2.45, I'll stick, oh, well, I, I go back on Twitter, check the you know, team, bits and pieces, what's going on on Twitter. Um, Drain the stallion a couple of times, and then at about two fifty-four, usually walk out to the to the to the box and uh, take my seat. So I'm not that socialising guy who runs around yapping with everyone outside. I I'm, I'm kind of in my own little area, you know, where everyone knows where they can find me, and they come in and gravitate usually to want something from me. You know what I mean? So we go through stuff, and um, and that's that's a match day. And then I sit down. Obviously, Baz is next to me. You've seen. I, you know, I, I probably moan like fuck. You know, I'll be going to my left. Why's he done that, Baz? You know, fuck's sake, Baz. What's that all about? You know, and Barry, Barry's half deaf, by the way, so I don't think he hears most of the stuff in that right ear. You know, but you'll nod along in agreement. You know, and that's why, and, he's, uh, that way, so he doesn't have to hear half of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. And um, yeah, and 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 that's and I, you know, you probably saw I was missing in the second half, 
but I, I, I'm a superstitious person. And during the promotion season, I always left when we were 2-0 up at home. And touch wood, uh, it's been a, a, a very good record. So since then, when we go 2-0 up, Rob, my, my chief of transportation, who drives me, um, basically knows the 2-0 to have the car ready. So I go in at half time. Obviously, we'll, we'll talk the game, you know, and then I'll say, okay, I'll see you later. And I'll get in the car and go. And I'll shut my phone off until uh, 4.56, 4.57, which usually takes into account about six minutes injury time. And then I'll check my phone. So you're not checking it during the second half at all? Nope. Like how nope. mentally can you... Like, I was checking my phone to see how we're doing at Barrow. Uh, I, 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 it, it, it's painful. And I, I really have to get help for this OCD and superstition stuff because it's just like it's getting beyond control. But I do not... My phone, even Rob, my driver, I tell him to turn his phone off because he had beeps on his phone. So we will be driving, listening to Magic Radio um, on the way back to London. And then approximately at yeah, 4.56, 4.57, I'll go on Twitter and go to the posh account to see, you know, what the news is. And then obviously when I get home, I watch the second half myself on my computer, well, you know. But that that's just, and it sounds mad, but that's what I do. I mean, I once went to Plymouth and left at half time when we were 2 up. After a five-hour drive, we ended up winning, I think, 4-1 or whatever it was. You know what I mean? But, yeah, it's just a little – the only time I stayed when we were 2-0 up last year was at home against Cardiff and it finished 2-2. My brain works like that, you know. So, yes, yeah, so really good. And um, and that's my day at the club, um, yeah, you know. And, and, you know, of course, I engage with as many staff and people I haven't seen during the week as possible. It's great to catch up with everyone. Um, and that's it. And that's that's the – that's the owner's experience on match day. And obviously then after the game, you get messages from my partners, messages my missus will send me a big thing of balloons and congratulations because she has a thing on her phone that she was out like jet washing our terrace yesterday and her phone was obviously bleeping. So, you know, she was quite happy. My dad will send a text, you know, hey champ, great result, love you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, and obviously a few agents, a few people I know will. It, it, what drives me mad is the morning of match days and I've told people over and over, don't message me. You know, I don't, I don't engage in messages with anyone on match day by text. So when I get like, good luck and this, that, whatever, I'm like, fucking stop, don't do that. Like, leave me alone until the game's finished. And, I, you know, and unfortunately, i completely gone out of my mind about your family. So I didn't actually come out and speak to them briefly before the game started. And I felt bad about that. Your parents probably thought it was a rude bastard. But, you, you, you know, I would have liked to have sat and had a coffee with you. Do you know what I mean? And whatever else. And. I should have said to Liz, get you guys to come into my office to have a coffee, do you know what I mean, before the game and a catch-up and whatever else, you know. So, because if we've been out in the main lounge, we might not have got that chance to talk properly, you know. But, yeah, so that, that's match day. That's, uh, I don't know how many other owners are like that. I'm probably the most fucking bizarre, lunatic one out there at it, you know. But, yeah, that's that's my life. Well, whatever works. If it's working for you and you're getting the results, um, you know, I think that, we again talked beforehand about some some of the etiquette that's kind of forced um, that everyone feels like they got to do it for the sake of doing it. And um, I'm not yeah, like I know that. a city, it's kind of the same. You know, you don't just go and um, be somebody that you're not because you think that you've got to go and do it. No, I, I I don't buy into. You know, in the old days, they used to when I go to away games, they would sit me on the away director's table, so I'd be sat with all these other football club people I've never met, and all my people would be on a posh table. So I made it a point to say to like you know Liz, whoever was doing all the stuff with the way, don't put me on a table with people I don't know on my own for like two hours. I'm already the worst antisocial you'll ever meet in a football game. Now I'm going to come across as really aloof and rude. At least put me with my people, you know, who know what I'm like, and to leave me alone while I'm sat there. 
everyone knows me by now. You see, you know, and I'm a friendly guy, so I don't want to be put, you know, where I have to make small talk and I'm fucking worried about a game or I'm stressing about a football game. And, you know, away games at half time, I'll tend to go outside and just smoke. I don't want to go into the boardroom. You know what I mean? And it's like, I'm just, I'm not, I don't know why it is. I just don't want to engage in conversation. I guess my mind is, it's almost like I'm playing. My mind is just so focused on the game, you know, what I'm seeing with my eyes and what I'm seeing here and what I'm seeing there. And, and yeah, it's, it's nonstop. And then my ritual when I get home usually is I get home. We, I usually I get home about two and a half hours later, you know, I'll stick the old tracksuit buttons on, get comfortable. Uh, I'll do about an hour and a half of work again because I usually have about 50 emails to answer. I'll ring the missus, have a catch up with her and the kids. Uh, then I'll sit myself down and get ready for, uh, you know, the EFL show that's on ITV now. Uh, and then match of the day. I might play a bit of football manager in between for an hour, kill a bit of time mentally because it's great. I either do Lego or that. My big thing at the moment for mental stress away from everything else is to either do a bit of Lego. I've just built like uh, the Discovery Range Rover and I've built the Titanic, which is magnificent. Oh, you've done the Titanic, have you? I've well, done the Titanic. You've show about uh, Lego. <laughs> Hey, it's as long as my dick. It goes on forever. And it's it's, it's across my dining room table. I was going to say, it's, uh, I hope you got somewhere to put it because it's not small. <laughs> uh, we've got now, like I call it the Lego Museum. My missus has gone mad. We have a dining room that is a closed-off area in our house that we use at Christmas. And it's got, got Callum beat the Colosseum and a big wheel. I've just put in the Titanic, the Range Rover. I've just ordered a new Ferrari one today. But for the last three weeks, while I've been doing deals and stuff, every day at like 4 till 5.30 for 90 minutes, I've done a bit of Lego. And I've shut my phone down for just 90 minutes just to mentally disappear. So it's, it's really good. So, And that's my Saturday night, you know, of, of, of when Posh have done well. If they haven't done well Saturday night, I don't tend to watch the football shows. I'm not in the mood. I'm just not in the mood, you know. So you know yourself. It, it's I hear you about that one. Yeah. Yeah, correct. So listen, that's enough about Posh. We're going to make you two lovely boys Posh fans. I, I had... Uh, Jean obviously messaged me this morning that she met yesterday, Jean Venters, and saying that like your youngest one obviously, you know, was lively and very enthusiastic about the game. And she was like, we got to get make those kids posh fans. So <laughs> you're going to get me the sizes, you're going to get me names, I'm going to get Liz to send you full kit and everything else, and, and uh, you know, to, to, to indoctrinate them in the posh way. Uh, very important, you know. <laughs> you know, um, the uh, the oldest was um, heartily booing the referee through some of the strange decisions that were made throughout the game. So uh... this guy, this guy was relegated last week from the decision in the championship, and everyone saw the mistake he made. And what I don't understand, I understand when a, a ref is kind of demoted for one game, they don't want to make another mistake. But what I don't understand is, surely you go with your instinct, and his instinct in the first place was to give the penalty. So if that's your instinct, because I know from watching what was going on, he then talked to the linesman to say, was it offside? And then the linesman. So if your instinct's a penalty, go with your instinct. You can't be, if your instinct's over and over wrong, you're not a good referee. But most of the time, you go with your instinct, what you're trained to do, you make the right decisions. So just go with your instinct. So for the life of me, why he did that. And if, yeah, it didn't hurt us or affect us. But you know what? If that's an important game, yeah, you know, and that's a, that's a changer. That that that's that's where the managers say they lose jobs, you know, whatever else. So they've got to get that right. You know, League One, League Two, champion. You know, this is a professional, one of the biggest leagues in the world. They've got to get it right. But at the same time, he's human. He's got hammered last week. He's been hammered this week. You know, my personally, give him a week off. Let him analyze games and stuff. Go and do a bit of assessing, and then come back because he's a good referee, I think. So, but don't keep throwing him back into the fire. 
You know, they should have. Instead of this, send them to another league the next week. My thing is, give them a week to go out and assess. Let them go assess other games just to get a breather from the mental pressure and then go back to record. And if they're good enough for the champ, and that's why you put them there, have the courage of your convictions to don't demote them, keep them in the champ and have a three-mistake system. If they make three mistakes, then you demote them. But this, you know, mistake, you're going down to League One. That's wrong. That's just my opinion. Yeah, it makes people scared of making a mistake, and then Phil, you know, it can't work like that. Yeah, yeah, you, you can't you can't operate in an environment in a world where you make a mistake, and then you're under pressure, worrying about making. Oh, one of my favorite sayings in life is never make the same mistake twice. But unfortunately, lots of humans do, and and that's just life. That's the way it is. But it has to be a learning process. But if you keep getting hit with a stick for every mistake, you know where are they sending them next week? The non-league. I mean, stop. Give the guy a break for a week. You know, I, I expect he'll probably contact Grant this week and apologize for the mistake. Um, and then you move on and I hope he doesn't make it again. Yeah, so you were asking about City and talking about not wanting to watch. Uh, you know, we're recording this on Sunday because I'm traveling Monday when we usually record. Um, I'm still a little bit raw from, uh, I mean, I did. I haven't gone back to watch the goals. I know that it was a mess on social media and I'm like, okay, I'm staying off social media last night because my opinion was second week of the season, you know, let's just go to the next one, move on to the next one. So, so a couple of things you got to look at. Barrow went and beat Stockport last week, who were the bookies' favourites to win League Two. So straight off the bat, you've no divine right to go to Barrow and win. You got a new manager. You've got new players. Okay. The one thing I'm going to give them in credit is they fought to get an equaliser, which should have been the last kick of the game, right? Cook, Cook equalised. If you watch the highlights. You know, it wasn't an easy day at the office, you're thinking, right. But as some weird things can happen in football, and there was a few of them yesterday with late goals. Stevenage did it in injury time twice. Doncaster did it twice. And obviously then Barrow have gone and done what they did. And that manager at Barrow, I said it last week, didn't I, whatever else, fucking did great things at Halifax. And now he's doing great. Now, whether Barrow can go the distance, I don't know. I don't know enough about them. And looking at the ground and looking at whatever else, it doesn't look like an easy bloody place to go to. And I was trying to say last week against Cheltenham, you know, which would be a graveyard for some teams like losing big teams. You know, I would imagine there's going to be a few scalps at Barrow this season, right? Um, so whilst the, sh- the result didn't shock me, I think any negative reaction needs to be on pause. And I think, you know, I think you as a fan base collectively have to go 10 games. Let's, let's wait 10 games. Can't get the 10, try and get the five. Let's wait five or 10 games before we start coming out with the, oh, here we go again. Oh, it's another this. Oh, you know, manager. Da, 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 da. You know, looking at the statistics and everything else, it wasn't a hammering by Barrow. You know, it, it, you know, you score two goals away from home. Anytime you score two goals away from home, that's a positive thing and you should be taking points. So there's obviously stuff to clean up, right? Yeah, I think that um, it's obviously it's not a result that, you know, we didn't want to lose 3-2 to Barrow. We thought we'd go there, get something out of them. But I think there's a big overreaction. And, you know, I was thinking about this beforehand. How would I have reacted if it was the middle of the season last year and it's just another defeat and, you know, we'd probably all be up in arms, but it's game two. Um, you know, if we're still doing this in game 20, then that's another another, another thing altogether. But for now, you just kind of got to take a, um, a, a seat back and, and let the first few games play out. Do you know the problem? Do you know the big problem? Not winning your opening, your home game, mm-hmm. all right, has exasperated the issue with all the negativity. If you go and do the business last week against Donny, all right, in front of your 18,000 fans, yeah, and you have to have the best home record in League Two with that support base, by the way. 
So if you go and get your three points against Donny, you can live with a bit of a freakish late winner right after you've equalized in the 95th minute. But what you can't do is you can't fuck up against 10 men and draw and then follow that up by losing. All right? That, that is the problem and that is the issue. But look, you know, you're close to the club. I'm sure they were all frustrated and irritated or whatever else. And I'm sure fans like yourself will, yes, you're looking at it going, oh, here we go. But really, you also have to realize you got to give it time. you got to give it time. And, and it sounds like you still need to do some business in the window. Would it be right in saying that? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we need um, what's been shown so far is that there's not a great deal of width, or at least we haven't seen a great deal of width. Um, you know, a lot, not a lot of creativity up there. Uh, and is, is there money to do more business? Um, if I was a betting person, I would say that money would probably be made available. You know, I think actually our chairman, Stefan Rupp, was at the game, the Doncaster game. Oh, wow. Um, and so uh, seeing the atmosphere and everything there, the occasion and seeing, you know, that the kid get his leg broken would probably um, go some way to saying like, you know, what can we do to fix that? And not fix it as in fix the player, obviously, but in replacing the player while we need to replace the player. So I wouldn't be surprised if based on all of that, that uh, there's a little bit of money made available. And then we play Hull on Tuesday in the cup. You know, this will have gone out after we play Hull. So who knows whether that's uh, we're out of the cup or not. But if we do get through there, there's a good amount of money that would probably be put back into the team. How, how was how was the, the fan sentiment towards the owner when he was over? Because that's the first time in a while he's been back, right? Yeah, to be honest, there was zero, zero positive, zero negative. I'm not sure that uh, it wasn't announced uh, that he was going to be there or anything. He didn't make a uh, a showing or, or anything like that. You know, he just uh, sat quietly up in the director's box and I think was gone before um, before most people realized he was there. Well, what Bradford fans have to be is a bit clever. This is a bit like selling. You know, I'm going to give a few tips here. I guarantee if they'd given it the old Stefan, we love you, mm-hmm. all right, on the day and given him a bit of love, he'd probably have his checkbook a bit closer to his hands. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's like sometimes the ego of an owner, you know, and that, and by the way, I'm not talking about me, you know, either way, so give him a fuck. <laughs> yeah, push hands. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. But, 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 you know, maybe he has not, a, and, I, and I get he's had a lot of critique and criticism, but maybe a little bit of love, you know, for, for resetting this, the page. This is where I always talk about owners should do interviews and, and, and Q&As and forums and stuff when they're over because it gives you that opportunity to engage and try and get fans on your way of thinking, you know. But let's see. I'm, look, I'm sure they're going to do a bit of business. You're not going to have Mark Hughes hanging around the place without any tools. No, I, I mean, I think that it's um, um, we'll, – I would imagine we get one and we maybe get two at this point because, um, you know, they, they're not going to go this far and not um, find the missing link on. I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And, and who have you got next Saturday? Did you say after the cup? Um, I think it's Newport at home. Okay, okay. They have not the best start. Obviously, lost against their own manager on Saturday. So you'd expect to do the business in that one, now and get up and running. A bit more pressure on it, given the two results so far. But um, I think that it's a good opportunity for us to get on the board. We'll see. Do you think your players can cope with the size of your club when it comes to eighteen thousand fans yeah. supporting them? That's always been a um, a topic of conversation, you know, players coming in that just, you know, rabbits in headlights. And so there was a lot of talk about the mental side through the recruitment this year. Uh, I think Ryan would say when people come into the stadium to do the interview, when they're talking about, are we going to bring somebody in or not? You know, you've got two kind of reaction. One reaction is the eyes light up. And the other reaction is, crap, this is big. 
you know, and so, you know, they're definitely been going towards the ones whose eyes light up, um, who look at it being an opportunity as opposed to sh- sh- who are showing that maybe there's a little bit of apprehension in playing in front of that kind of event. Have you watched the Arsenal Amazon Prime uh, show yet? I haven't, no. It's really good. It's really good. My missus loves it as well. She watched all the three episodes. I binge watching the other night. Um, Arteta comes across really well. I really like him. Um, but I, I have said I thought Arsenal in two years, didn't I? Last year, I said in two years, I think, because obviously the Cronkies are now spending the money, um, you know, and they've been the biggest spenders the last two windows. Uh, I think Arsenal are going to be a serious force to be reckoned with next year. Not this year, next year. I think title challenges. And uh, what I loved about the documentary was the riches you see at that level with the facilities and the staff. They had a medical meeting in the cinema room, and it was like it was almost like a full sold out showing for Maverick Top Gun. There were that many people in the medical department, you know, and, and then I'm hoping my medical department have won. I didn't watch that. So, uh, and, then, and then they've got like, um, he's almost like a therapist. He's like a player liaison. He's obviously foreign, but he's very good where he's sitting with the new players and he's talking about the, the mental side and this and that and telling them how wonderful they are. And, you know, and, and I wish at our level we had the resources as clubs to have somebody in the club to work with younger people and older people, mainly younger people about that expectation, about moving to a new country, moving to a new area, you know, uh, just, you know what, I just think it's massively important, you know what I mean, particularly now, more and more now with, with, with what goes on outside football and social media and the pressure on young people, you know, to be able to, because it's just toxic out there sometimes, isn't it? It gets nasty, it gets horrible. It's relentless as well, isn't it? I, you know, I, I've been quiet on Twitter this week and I've had about, I think, out of nowhere, five different trolls just come at me. You know, not really. I haven't even tweeted anything, and they're just telling me how hated I am and how horrible I am, and you, you know, and, and it bounces off me because, like I said to him, you know, I'm mentally very strong for that stuff. But a 20 year old or a 22 year old or somebody coming from Ireland or Scotland or Europe, and and they're traveling all the way to a Bradford from the other side of the country. I mean, yeah, I, 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 for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Me and Natalie were speaking about it last night. My missus about it's so tough for young people without their families and. You know, mom's been cooking their, their meals. Like, you watch Ramsdale's parents follow him everywhere. He moved to Arsenal. And, you know, he's probably lived with his mom and dad, you know what I mean, for X amount of years. And now all of a sudden you're on your own. And that Kieran Tierney, I think his parents, he hired a chef from Scotland who moved in with him, who now works at Arsenal, but he lives with him. And, you know, that that's helped him probably settle in. And he talked about struggling on the mental side of things, you know, when you're on your own. So it's a side of the game we don't do enough talking about. But uh, it, it's really, for anyone who hasn't seen it, they got to watch it. It's very good. I like, Arteta is very good. It comes across very, very good. I have to put that on my watch. So there's been three so far, has they? Three so far. I don't know why Amazon fuck around. I don't know why they don't do a Netflix and just released a whole lot. I would have watched it by now. So let's let's talk my beloved Liverpool and shit in the bed yesterday. Yeah. Um, I mean, you got away with one in the end, didn't you? I love Jurgen. I said last year he was the difference maker. And I think yesterday he was the difference maker and it's not winning. You know, if if I get my manager uh, an eighty million pound striker as a gift, and he he starts the game and plays uh, the busted flush known as Bobby Firmino, and um, with all due respect, Bobby Firmino couldn't hit a barn door, and he hasn't hit double digits for like three seasons. If he's your number nine after you've spent eighty million, and I get it, he wants to settle the boy, you know, Darwin Nunez into the club. Forget that. He came on in the second half and he was on the pitch for 30 minutes. He scored one, he assisted one, he should have had two other goals. We would have won the game from the start. Forget how crap our midfield was. We would have won the game if Nunez had been on instead of Firmino. Sell Firmino to Juventus, with all due respect, he's been a legend. He's 30 now. He's done. 
nobody in the Premier League would have him in the top six in their first 11. The bigger concern is we weren't at the races. That you can live with its first game, but the real concern is the midfield three. You know, I'm a massive Henderson fan, but you're worrying about age. Um, Thiago's made of glass, as we know, and he went down with a hamstring injury. Some of, I'd seen a thing on The Athletic a couple of days ago where he, he misses 30% of seasons every year in his career. We spoke before we came on the pod about you do statistics based on a player's fitness and availability. He's now going to be out probably for six minutes. Normally, it would be four weeks for that injury. With him, he takes longer. So it'll be six, seven weeks. They're already missing. Oxley chamberlain I mean, he'd make much of a difference anyway. He's out. Uh, Curtis Jones is out. Uh, Naby, again, another one who potentially a little bit glass-like and, and misses large amounts of games. So you're now left with Fabinho and a 32-year-old Jordan Henderson. Fair play to Harvey Elliott. He looked absolutely superb when he came on. But I'll tell you right now, if they were planning on buying Bellingham in a year, you know, or, or whatever else, or, or a Declan Rice, write that check because Liverpool, I, Grant was laughing, our manager, because he was in the office and he heard me saying, oh, the title race is over. And he was like, typical, typical chairman. You know, I'm like, you don't understand. You cannot give Man City that kind of head start. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, and it's not even that I worry about. I just can't see now with that midfield, you know, and the injuries and stuff like that, how we can mount a title challenge. But like I said last year, if anyone could do it, Jurgen can. And I'm sure he, he was screaming and ranting and raving at them at halftime. I mean, he didn't look like a happy man. Fulham, give them credit. They were excellent. They played for Mitrovic's strengths. There's a lot of things about Liverpool I worry about. Um, but again, the front three, I don't worry about. If they play, you know, if they fit, start the next game with the ones they've finished nearly, you know, with Diaz, Nunez and, and Salah, not a problem. But if that's centre of the park, you do, you're very concerned about. Um, so that that's Liverpool and Fulham. Everyone's dark horse is Spurs. There's a lot to like about them. There's a lot to be impressed about. Um, delighted Bournemouth won. I've got a few shillings on them staying in the Premier League with a Dembele deal. <laughs> you know, Forest. You know, like I said, I, I like their business. They weren't good against Newcastle, but I guess there's a betting in period, right? What do you think about Newcastle this year? Like, what's? I don't think anyone knows what success will look like for them, or how are they judging? I watched match of the day. I saw the highlights. Very comfortable. I thought should have battered Forest. Um, I thought the two 0 flattered Forest. It should have been more with the chances Newcastle created. You always worry with Newcastle when Wilson gets his usual uh, hamstring issues in the season. You know, if Chris Wood's going to be the man that steps in, you, you, if Newcastle have an expectation of top six, they're two attackers short. If Newcastle have an expectation of top ten, they could get by with what they have. Um, I like the business. I like the fact they've given Howe a new contract. I like the fact they've walked away from deals because of the greed element of us, Newcastle. It's got all yeah, this. They're not just going to pay any money for anything. No, I, I, I like that. I think there's obviously a lot of good things happening off the pitch. I think they're definitely going to be top 10. If they want to have a flash of top six, they're probably going to need to spend, I don't know, a 50 million on a Tony type signing, you know, to, to really, because with all due respect to Chris Wood, he's not going to score 15 goals for Newcastle. Um, a 50 million on an Ivan Tony. And of course, I'm saying this because of sell-ons, but I'm just using that as an example. That kind of striker, he's getting 15 to 25 goals with the player. Newcastle, listen, there's some very good players in that Newcastle team. So, um, and Eddie Howe, he knows what he's doing. He's a very underrated manager, in my opinion. Um, and let's see what else we had. So, Everton. Villa, Villa, Villa didn't look good, by the yeah. way. Well, you know, I, 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 that's I, definitely I, the, the result of the day, isn't it? Bournemouth beating them. Yeah, yeah. Villa didn't look good. I know Scott Parker's been moaning about lack of players at Bournemouth. He's probably right. They haven't really done much business, but they got a great win. Um, you know, Villa did not look good. 
Um, there's already grumblings there. Like I'm seeing in press, I'm seeing comments on Twitter. I think Stevie Gina needs a bit of time there. But uh, with, with the embarrassment of riches they have and attacking the money they've spent, you know, Coutinho wasn't good. Everton, I watched that game, Chelsea. Yeah, I, I don't know why Chelsea are in a hurry to spend, you know, another 100 million, another central defender. If anywhere, they need to spend money on strikers because they already have a phenomenal defence, they have a phenomenal midfield. What they don't have is, and they haven't had it for a long time, is that 20-goal-a-season striker, which is amazing, really. And they've got everything else, and they're going to be definitely a danger. But I actually think Spurs could be more dangerous than them because Spurs front three are as good as anyone's front three in the, in the Premier League. Spurs usually start like that and fall off, don't they? No, I, I, they don't start and fall off uh, with Conte because they haven't had Conte that long. And, and Conte, whilst he only gets usually two years and then moves on, you know, he's really only six months, seven months into the gig. So I, I don't see them falling off. If Spurs have a good start, expect them to be up there right to the end because Conte is relentless. And talking about Chelsea, they just signed that... Um, Cucurella. Cucurella from Brighton for 53 plus 10, something like that was the price tag. Uh, Tony Bloom and Brighton, genius what they do there. As someone said yesterday, they brought in more money in transfers the last two and a half windows than their stadium cost to build. And couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Um, they run such a great operation there at Brighton. Um, and they, they will replace... I was reading a great story on the Athletic about his Belgian club. That ran that, that, that ran close to winning the title last year. And I think they just beat Rangers last week, didn't they, in the Champions League qualifier or whatever else. But, and, you know, he's he what he's doing at Brighton is just Brighton will be good this season. They'll have no problem at all. It'll be interesting to see that game today against United. I'm going to watch that. Got my alarm set. Um, yeah, they, what what, do you, what you got a case of there is he's, he's obviously so wealthy that any club bids for his player is like, that's my figure. That's it. I'm not moving. Now, when you're in a position where you're that rich, you can do that. It's great. It's wonderful. It's no pressure. And he's got a player on a five-year deal. Uh, and Man City, amazingly, amazingly, didn't pay the 50 million. They've paid 50 for Walker. They've paid 50 for other uh, fullbacks. They got 32 million for Vizinchenko, who I didn't think was worth 32 million, by the way. And 18 million more and they got a player who's young who's going to be with them seven, eight years. I, I, I am astonished that City allowed that to happen. I was reading the article, I think it was this morning in The Athletic about it. Um, there were suggestions that, you know, Brighton were positioning him in talks as a centre-back versus a full-back uh, and that the position of the player actually influences the price tag. And I mean, do you find that when you're looking at valuations that position, you know, that a, a centre half is worth more than a, a left back or a right midfielder is worth an, a, more than a left yeah, back? Yeah, you, you could argue that. But then again, I would argue and say, well, Kyle Walker is 50 million. Um, Cucurelli, you, you know, or if Chelsea play a three at the back, he'll play maybe left side at centre back. So he can play obviously at centre back. Does, does the price... I, I'm not sure on that one because I've seen full-backs go for as much as centre-backs. You know, a full-back can create and make goals, score goals, and obviously their job is to, to help defensively. A centre-back predominantly is to give you that Van Dyke-type dominance at the back and get you clean sheets. Nobody thought a goalkeeper would ever go for 70 or 80 million, but that's happened in the last, like, five years. You know, I still come down to and say strikers and attacking players are always going to cost more. Um, but then again, who would have thought Harry Maguire would have ever gone for 85 million? So... It just depends. Brighton played a blinder with the whole thing. But I am amazed Man City, you know, Pep can't be happy about that. You know, at the end of the day, if you're replacing a player like Zinchenko, how do you expect to go out and pay less for his replacements going into the 11? That makes no sense. So I'm not quite sure what was going on there. 
Um, but Man City know what they're doing. They're, I'm sure they'll, they'll get by fine. Um, but some of the figures you're seeing, every day you wake up and you see, I mean, Chelsea really are having a go. I mean, fair play to the, the hedge fund guys. They're, they're putting their money with their mouth is. You know, are they overpaying for a few deals? Probably. But you know what? They need deals to happen. Koulibaly looked very good against Everton yesterday. Um, you know, some of the signings they made. They're going to be good, Chelsea. It's going to take a bit of time, but they definitely need a goal scorer. When is it okay to overpay, to knowingly overpay for a player? Is it ever okay? Yes, when you when you have a need. When you have a need. You, you go into the last day of the window, you don't have a striker. You have to overpay by 20%, possibly, because you don't have it. So you just do it. So sometimes that's what you do. You will overpay. Years ago, I overpaid for Britta Sambalonga. Britta Sambalonga had been out on loan at South End. He'd had a good season. He scored 14 goals. It wasn't a magnificent season. It didn't warrant a £1.25 million deal in the summer for a player that had never played for his parent club a competitive game. I overpaid because we'd sold Dwight Gale. And we were going into the season without a number nine. So I probably overpaid by double. And the reason I overpaid by double is because a couple of things. One, Watford gave us five years to pay the money. So it was really only costing me a damn payment of 200 grand. The, the risk outweighs, you know, the, the, the potential outweighed the risk. So that's when it was okay to overpay. Um, clubs overpay all the time. If Everton keep going and losing players with all the injuries, they're going to overpay last minute for a striker. They've got no recognised striker, um, you know, so they could end up overpaying. Is that going to be because they're desperate to buy or everybody knows their situation? And so because of their situation, they put 20% on top. Yeah, I, I, everyone will know the situation. Um, is Cucurella worth 52 million? No. So Chelsea overpaid and Brighton oversold because they knew that Man City wanted the player. They knew Chelsea were desperate to get signings in defensively. And when that's public knowledge, when you're late in a window doing business, the best time to do business is in June. The worst time to do business is in August. <laughs> you know? And then July is the happy medium. So when you're chasing your tail and chasing your arse in August, you're overpaying. We've talked a lot in the past about undisclosed deals. I mean, it seems like we're seeing more and more undisclosed. I know we've been talking transfer numbers at the Premier League. Outside the Premier League, it seems like every deal these days is undisclosed. And fans have a go, have a go at me all the time about undisclosed. Um, it drives me mad. I, I have no problem disclosing the deals we do. No problem disclosing what we paid, what we sold. It is the club you do business with that put in a contract always they want to disclose. We're getting to the point where I'm asking Liz, my football safety, say, do you mind leaving it as an open transfer? And it's no. So, you, you, you know, that, that frustrates me. And, um, you know, because it can go both ways. One, it can under, it'll, it'll say you've got X amount for a player, but it's, it's you know, like Ivan Tony, it was for a while, it was like, oh, it's a four million, a five million pound deal, whatever. It wasn't. It was a 10 million pound deal. You know, um, you know, years ago, Dwight Gale, I saw it for six million, ended up making eight. Sky had it all over the thing at four. This week, we had Sammy Schmodix at two and a half. It wasn't quite a two and a half. With add-ons and everything else, it could go to three, but the initial fee was less than two and a half. So again, I, I'm not allowed to say it exactly because the club buying always put it in the contract. Um, equally, when we buy a player, um, you know, the fans are, why don't you, you know, what? and I'm like, again, it's the club we do business with. If they don't give me permission, as time goes by, I'll, 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 I'll say the numbers because they're not going to be so angry a year later at me saying it, but I will. So if any fan asked me a question about a year ago, what do we pay for a player? I'll happily answer. So there you go. For the next Q&A batch, send in your Q&As if you want to know what we paid for a player. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and you know what I'm learning is it's less, It's um, I don't want to say less important, but it's 
it's really important the cash flow element of it. So you can do a, you can have a deal that you know is a a hundred grand deal, but you're not actually paying it until year three or year four. Or right, and that's for us. And 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 one of the big things, the reason I hung up the Blackburn deal, um, for a week before I allowed it to go through, was we had to be able to factor uh, year two and three. Otherwise, it made no financial sense. We still owed Bristol City 500 grand of his initial million transfer. If it was done the way it was done initially suggested, we would have sold the player, paid Bristol back their 500 with the down payment, and had no money until year two and three, if you get what I mean. So it was really, it was really imperative that, and Blackburn were brilliant, that they agreed to help as regards to we found a factoring company they do all the documents and do everything else and this is how we do it so we can bring forward year three and two into this year's budget to help with our hole because obviously we have a hole otherwise what's the point of selling the player so you've you do a deal and it's um installments over the length of the contract do you sell that player like you did sammy schmodix does that all those installments become due because you've now sold the player on so 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 basically with with sammy we we paid a million for him and it was in four installments it was 250 250 250 250 we're two years into it, we've paid half a mil, but we still owe half a mil. So the minute you sell the player, even if I sell them for a pound, I would have to come up with 500 grand on what we owe Bristol. So anything we sell them for has to be above that, otherwise it makes no sense. So, so you know, and, and if somebody gives you two million or whatever it might be, and they say, right, of that two million, we're going to give you 500 grand now, and then the other one and a half million is over a year, two, three, and four. Well, that's great. It's not great because the half a million straight away is gone you know, to the club you still owe the money on. So there's all those things to take into into account. I'm not complaining, by the way. It's like when we buy a player and the club go, we want all the money up front. Nobody does that anymore. All money is spread over a contract. I always remember laughing a couple of years ago. I had a bit of banter with him. It was Ross Wilson. I think his name is a, a Rangers about trying to buy one of their players. And he's, he's, by the way, an unbelievable operator. Before anyone from Scotland starts writing articles and slaughtering me and saying I'm having a dig at, at Rangers, disclaimer legally, I'll come after you unless you put the full context of this in. He's an unbelievable operator. I was trying to buy a player and the deal was like seven, 800 grand. So I was like, you know, 200, 200. And he was like, no, 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 no. We're, we're expecting all the money up front. And I said, uh, when you bought the player, Kent from Liverpool, for seven, eight million, did you pay it all up front for Liverpool? And he was like, of course not. So I was like, well, it's kind of the same thing when you're in League One. You're in like, you're one of the biggest clubs in the world with your fan base. You can afford to pay a lot more. So if you're doing it over time, we should be able to, anyway, we never got the deal done. But um, the, the reality is that is the way you buy players. Very few people will give you the money up front unless they're a top Premier League club. Um, so you're always paying it over time. We've had offers for Ryan Brook. Again, you know, 150, and I was taking it over the term of the, the contract that you signed. We did the same with George Brandt going to Scotland. It's over, you know, and, and it, and it gets, because if you're just like straight away saying, sorry, we want the money, you're not going to dig. It's post COVID. Nobody has cash right now. So you always have to rob Peter to pay Paul to do deals. You know, I bought the Orient boy. Again, at the start, it took a while because Orient wanted, Martin Ling wanted all the money. And I was like, it's never going to happen. So in the end, we come to a compromise. That's, I, I get everyone has a job to do. They want money up front. We all try. We can't get it done. And Blackburn were very honest and, and whatever else. And I obviously was saying, well, we can try and hang on a bit longer because if they sell Barrett and Diaz for 15, 20 million, yeah, did it, did it, did there. But that wasn't the case. And the player wanted to go. So so you, you try and do as best you can. That's just a little bit of insight. Or we'll maybe do an episode in, maybe in September when the, the, the window's closed. People can ask questions about certain deals in football 
and even deals I've done, and we can do a whole episode episode dissecting. You know, like people don't realize there's a levy when you buy a player. If we spend a million pounds on a player, like say Schmodix when we bought from Bristol City, we have to pay 5% to the EFL. There's a levy. So the deal's a million and 50. It's not a million. Then we have to pay VAT. All the VAT's paid up front. It's not over the time of the contract. So say VAT's 20%. So I'm giving Bristol City a million pound fee. I'm only paying them 250. But straight away, I have to go 250 plus 50 levy plus 200 grand VAT. So I have to stump up 500 grand straight away. You don't get to pay the, the, the VAT over time. Another interesting part of the whole thing when I said about when you sell then a player and you still owe money and you have to pay it straight away, it's not the same in Scotland. We were owed money on Chris Forrester on a deal. They were paying it over three seasons. He got sold in the second season. I thought, great, we're going to get all the, you know, the, the 100 grand up front. And we found out the rules in Scotland are different. We're still getting paid as per the contract, even though we'd gone to a third club. <laughs> you think the rules yeah. would be pretty consistent by... Yeah, you you, you kind of would. You, yeah, you kind of would. So anyway, so that was that. Well, the last thing I want to talk about today, I've got a few other things. I'm going to hold those off for next week um, because it's kind of on the same topic and it's Barcelona. And we touched on it a little bit, I think, uh, last week, but... I think I read that, um, or actually in La Liga generally, there's some just ridiculous amount of number, percentage of transfers that have happened over the summer where the players can't get registered because of financial fair play. Um, I mean, what's your position on these players who are basically saying, you've, you've got a contract, you know, you don't want to honor your contract with me. Um, and now you're bringing in more players and you can't register them. Well, one, I want to know that, if they can't get registered, do they revert back to their previous club as a transfer cancelled? Because in England, I don't believe we can do a transfer signing without a player registration. Oh, I might be wrong on that. Um, and we have our own salary management protocols where we won't get approval to register to move a player out. And we were close to the wire this summer, you know, on being able to register players because of the 60% rule. And people forget that. Um, it's becoming more and more difficult to, to work around. Um, I meant legitimately, of course. Um, but the Barcelona thing blows my mind. I saw the uh, Andrea, the uh, Leeds owner. It was a great interview. And he had, again, I mentioned the Athletic for some reason. It's good, good content. And he was saying, like, he's waiting until the 5th of September to get his first payment. And if it's not in by then, he'd be going hell for leather legally through the courts. I'd hate to have to sue abroad. It's never easy. And I, die, I, I think the legal will. The guy who runs the league, I don't know if he has a problem with the Real Madrid and Barcelona people. But as a product, the product is not getting any better. People now are looking more to France, uh, to Italy, to England again, whereas the Spanish league is not quite what it was two years ago. And that guy running it, as much as he wants financial fair play, these things that keep happening, it's not making it the best place in the world to do business. So I know Barcelona, everyone's going on about all their, I read loads of stuff on their situation, their billion debt. Let me just be clear to everyone. Barcelona won't go bankrupt. Barcelona won't go into liquidation. Let me explain to you a club that size. If they turned over 500 million before COVID, in three, four years' time, they'll probably be the first football club in the world to turn over a billion. Such as the size of the club, the socia, the members, the new stadium they've got, the, all the things that are going on, uh, naming rights, sponsorship deals, all these little things they've sold 10% of to bring forward income is good business. They're solving today's problem, and tomorrow's problem won't be that. Tomorrow's problem will be they will be the biggest club in the world for turnover. But by then, they'll have rebuilt the team, less salaries, less silly ways. When I read the young was on 500 grand a week or whatever, I couldn't believe some of the deals. So now they've obviously, they're changing course and they're trying to do more prudent deals. Barcelona will be a force in world football in the next four years again. 
and all these financial problems. Because if you if you're repackaging debt and you owe a billion and you have to refinance and you're bringing money forward, even the repayment on that debt might be 100 million a year, 120 million. A club turning over six, seven, eight hundred million a year can pay it. A club turning over a billion a year can easily pay it. So I don't lose sleep or worry about Barcelona. No, they're too big to fail. I mean, obviously, they're too big to fail. The, the government will come in or the banks will come in or whoever will come in if it, if it got to that point. They won't fail. But it will be fascinating to see over the, the chess of the next, uh, I don't know what's it going to be, the next three or four weeks. Real Madrid will win the title for the next two years, in my opinion, quite comfortably, because they're set with the younger players getting stronger. So Barcelona, it's going to take them three, four years to get back to where they were. All right. Well, with that, we'll wrap things up for another week on the pod. Thank you as ever, Dara. Great Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, there were some things that happened in midweek we didn't cover. Obviously, League Cup's happening this week. Um, we talked about before we've got Newport. Who do you have this uh, coming Saturday? Plymouth and Plymouth. Plymouth, that's right. Plymouth and Plymouth. So, good luck on, uh, you know, I, well, I guess on both of them. And um, Yeah, correct. You know what I mean? um, so, hopefully, a good week. And good luck to Bradford. Yeah, thank. I'm not going to be able to see the next one. I'm flying again uh, out to, <laughs> to LA on Back Saturday. To the Back so to the actually, states. Yeah, I'm going to the states tomorrow, and then we're going to. Well, I'm off to LA next week, so or the week after. So I'm going to be well. If the app works, because I think the I, the um, EFL app had problems yesterday. If that works, I'll that. be listening to it on the plane. Um, Hooray, there you go, mighty Bradford. Why you're in your beloved California? Yes. Uh, say hello to Mr. Newsom. I will do. I'll, I'll send him your personal regards. <laughs> Thanks, folks. Don't forget to send in your questions. Don't forget to send in stuff to fill out. Uh, contact at hardtruthfootball.com. There you go. Have a great week, guys. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care.